Good morning, everyone. Wow, some of you actually are awake. That's impressive, considering daylight savings time. Good job. Uh, all of you successfully set your uh, clocks forward, or you allowed your phone to switch for you. So, way, way to go. Uh, my name is Aaron. Welcome to Riverwood Church. Uh, glad that every single one of you are here, whether this is your first time or your 40th time. We don't care where you're at in your spiritual journey. We want to help you find Jesus and follow him, whether you, that's something that you're investigating right now or it's something that you've been doing since you were a kid. Because we believe that God wants to invest in you and change you and transform you to where you are going and being like Christ, that you're loving like Jesus loved and living like Jesus lived. We hope that, to, that today we'll encourage you to just go and be a tremendous blessing. Well, to get started today, I want to talk about macaroni and cheese. Anyone here really love macaroni and cheese? Okay, I, I don't, but my kids love it. So it's amazing. Like, probably about every other week, our supper is hot dogs and macaroni and cheese, and my kids are elated, and I'm wondering, what else do we have in the house? My, uh, let's see, my sophomore year of uh, college, I was a music major, and I remember one day talking with uh, Susan and Beth. They were fellow music majors. They were a year ahead of me, and they started telling me a story and as they're telling the story, I remember Susan is laughing so hard, she can barely spit the words out. But Beth, she just has this absolute look of disgust on her face. And they were telling me that their freshman year, they were studying together, and they got hungry late at night. And so they decided to make themselves a snack. And Susan had a box of macaroni and cheese. And so she grabs the box and starts making it. Well, as she thinks it's about done, she goes over to it, and something doesn't look right. It, it, it doesn't look like macaroni and cheese. It looks more like macaroni and cheese soup. And Beth is over there going, what did you do? And so Susan's like trying to read the box, like what happened? And, and Beth's over there taking a spoonful and she tastes it. And it's like, oh, this is the worst mac and cheese I've ever tasted. What happened? And as Susan reads through the directions again, she realizes she skipped a step. She forgot the word Drain. It's amazing what happens when you skip something. It, it changes things. All right, I, I see a few kids uh, in high school and middle school. When you skip a step in a math equation or you skip a step in the assignment, it will change the answer. You won't get the correct answer. It'll also change your grade. You'll get a lower grade. Or, or adults, if you met someone who said that they were a doctor, in your mind you're thinking one thing, but then you find out that he kind of skipped the part where he bought his license online from a school in the Bahamas, and he learned everything on YouTube. It kind of changes your opinion of him, doesn't it? When you skip something, it has the potential to change things. I say all that to say I'm taking a risk today, because I'm going to skip some things, and I hope it doesn't change your opinion of me. Because those of you who know your Bible, as we jump into it, you're going to realize that last week we were in Abraham, and this week we're going to be at this crazy story with Jacob and Leah and Rachel and Laban and a bunch of other characters. And you're going to be saying, wait a second, we skipped some stories. And I just want to acknowledge right now that yes, I have. And it isn't that I don't like the stories. Actually, these stories work really, really well for the series that we're in. We're in this series called His Story. We're looking at how the entire Bible points to Jesus. And so we've been walking through various stories, seeing how even back in the Old Testament, they all point to the coming of Jesus, the Son of God. But today we're going to skip some of these stories. Well, one of the stories we're going to skip is the story where Abraham takes his son Isaac up on a mountain to sacrifice him. 
If you remember last week, we saw God promised Abraham that he would give him a son through whom he was going to build this mighty nation. And Abraham and Sarah were really, really old. And then finally, Isaac comes along. And then 12 years later, God says, all right, that's good. Sacrifice him to me. How much do you love me? It kind of makes you pause, like, what kind of a God is this? And then what kind of a dad is Isaac that he'd actually, I mean, uh, Abraham, he'd actually begin to go through with it. But the story is, they go up on the mountain, and they build an altar, and they lay the wood on it, and then Abraham lays his only son on it. God ends up staying his hand. There ends up being a ram in the bushes, and God says, I now see that you would not even withhold your son from me. Take him off and sacrifice the ram in his place. This story just screams Jesus all over the place. First, we see Abraham willing to sacrifice his only son. Well, God, he sacrificed his only son, Jesus, for us. We, we see the ram as the substitute, that, that Isaac didn't have to die, that instead the ram died in his place. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He's the lamb of God who took our place. The story screams Jesus, but we're going to skip it. We're also going to skip the story of Jacob, who we're going to meet in just a little bit where he happens to be wandering in this field. It's the middle of the night, so he decides to lay down and sleep. And he uses a rock for a pillow and then has a crazy dream. So what I take from it is never use a rock as a pillow, right? But in this dream, a ladder appears out of heaven coming to earth, and angels ascend and descend on it. This whole story screams Jesus too, because Jesus himself in John chapter 1, verse 51 said that to his brand new disciples, you're going to see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That was a title that he gave himself. He's saying that he is Jacob's ladder. He is the only way to heaven. He's come down from heaven, and he can bring us back to heaven, to the Father. And yet we're going to skip that story as well. Instead, we're going to go to a story that is about a very dysfunctional family. It's going to contain polygamy. It's going to contain jealousy. We're going to see some people do some really crazy things. It sounds like a Netflix series. But it all happened a couple thousand years ago. And we're not going to study it to figure out this is how you do marriage. No, in fact, I'm going to say watch this marriage and then do the opposite in most cases. All right? Like, guys, don't take two wives. All right? That right there is probably a lot of the problem. Just focus on one. All right? You'll do great. Just focus on one. We're going to see all sorts of crazy things. But the reason I want to go to this story this week, instead of going to the clear Jacob's ladder or or the sacrifice of, of Isaac, I want to go to this one because not only will we see Jesus yet again, but we're actually going to see God's love for us in an incredibly powerful way. Because that's what I want for you today. I want you to walk out of here just realizing how much God loves you. Despite your past, despite your mistakes, despite your sin, he loves you. And he's willing to do crazy things for you. So Father, I pray right now that as we get ready to dive into the scriptures, that you would be our teacher today. And that through this crazy dysfunctional story, you would show us your crazy love for us. And so open our ears, open our hearts to what you have for us today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. All right, today we're going to be in Genesis chapter 29. So if you brought a Bible with you, open it up to Genesis 29. If you've got a Bible on your phone, feel free to use that. Uh, That's uh, totally okay with us here at Riverwood. As you're turning there, though, I've got to cover a lot of backstory to get you to the place to understand today's story. So last week we were in Genesis chapter 12 and 15. We looked at a little bit of the life of Abraham. God fulfilled the promise that he made to Abraham. When Abraham was 100 years old and his wife was 90, they, have, they gave birth to a son, Isaac. Isaac's name means laughter. 
And they laughed because here they were. They should have been great-great-grandparents by this time. And instead, for the first time, they're holding their own child. It, it was ludicrous. It was crazy. They laughed. It brought them so, so much joy. Well, Isaac eventually grew, and it came to the time for him to have a wife. And Abraham didn't want him to have one of the Canaanite women in the area where they were living. So he sends one of his servants to go back to Haran, back to the, the place of his father's, and to find one of like, their kin to become Isaac's wife. And Rebecca is the woman. Rebecca makes the trip back, marries Isaac, and they go on to have twins. Uh, these twins, though, inside were like wrestling around inside of, uh, of, of uh, Rebecca. And she, she was wondering, what is going on? And so she kind of cries out to God, like, what is happening inside? And he says, you got twins, but not just twin boys. You actually have two nations. These boys are going to grow up and I'm going to turn each of them into a nation, a mighty nation. But the older will actually end up serving the younger. So that's where we come today. Esau is the first son born. When he came out, he was all red and hairy. Uh, that's what his name means, Esau, red and hairy. And, and uh, his, his brother, though, was named Jacob. Because the Hebrew word for Jacob meant he who grasps the heel. Because as Esau's coming out of the birth canal, this little hand's coming with it. And he's hanging on to his brother like, don't go, don't leave me. And all the midwives who were helping uh, Rebecca with the birth, they laughed. They thought this was hilarious, so they named him Jacob, he who grasps the heel. Well, it was an idiom for he who deceives. And I mean, come on, what little innocent baby is going to deceive anyone? It's just a name. But as you'll see in a moment, it was actually very prophetic. Esau, when he grew up, became a man's man. He, uh, he loved to hunt. He loved camping. I mean, if he, if he lived in our day and age, he probably would wear a lot of camo and flannel. Right? He'd probably grunt and spit a lot. He'd drive a Chevy Silverado King Cab. Uh, you know, he'd do mixed martial arts just as a hobby. I mean, th this guy was tough. But his brother was kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum. Whereas Esau was really hairy, Jacob was rather smooth-skinned. He, he could probably tell you all sorts of lotions and essential oils to use to, to help your calloused hands. You know, if, if uh, Esau's out in the desert, you know, wrestling snakes to feed to his pet Tyrannosaurus Rex, L Jacob's probably in the library reading cookbooks on what to make his Pomeranian puppy. I mean, these two could not have been any different. If Esau's wearing flannel and camo, Jacob's in skinny jeans and a scarf. I mean, these guys were opposites. And so what you would imagine is that Esau becomes dad's favorite. I mean, most dads would look at their son, who's just, you know, tough, and just be like, oh, that's my boy. And so because Esau kind of gravitates toward dad, it was just very natural for Jacob to gravitate towards mom. And Jacob becomes a mama's boy. I suspect that Esau, even though he's only three minutes older than Jacob, probably made a ton of fun of him. He and his friends would probably throw rocks at Jacob, loved, you know, kicking dirt in his face when they knocked him down. He loved to make fun of his brother because Esau was something and Jacob seemed to be nothing. Well, there was one thing that Jacob had that Esau didn't, and that was brains. Esau was not the brightest tool in the shed. I think I totally messed that metaphor up. Oh, well. <laughs> but Esau, there, there's a story where Esau goes, uh, comes home from hunting, and he... Uh, um, brings home some game and he's just he's starving he's run out of food on this camping trip and so he sees jacob in the kitchen he's like hey give me a bowl of soup and jacob's thinking 
here's my chance. Because you see, for years, Jacob has probably been thinking and scheming. How can I get the birthright from my brother? In their day and age, there was a baton that would get passed from generation to generation, and it happened through the birthright. The oldest son deserved the right to take his father's possessions and maintain it, to lead it. And Jacob's probably looking at his foolish brother thinking, he's going to ruin it all. He can't manage this. Like, I know how to run a business far better than my brother. My brother will just go and squander it, and he'll just spend all of his time out with the guys in the Jeep. No, I need to have this. So suddenly, when Esau shows up and says, hey, I'm so hungry, give me a bowl of soup, Jacob thinks, here's my chance. So he says, sure, I'll give you a bowl of soup, but sell me the birthright. Now, here's where Esau reveals his stupidity. He says, what good's the birthright if I die from starvation? Just give me a bowl. You can have your stupid birthright. And just like that, Esau gives up the birthright for a bowl of soup. It, it would be as if someone just says, ah, yeah, that's fine. You can have our rich uncle's inheritance. I'll just take a couple pennies. It's a dumb exchange, but he does it. But that's not the only place that we see Jacob, he who grasps the heel, he who deceives deceive people and trick them. Because there's another story where Isaac is now getting old. He, he's starting to go blind. He, he's starting to go deaf. He thinks the end is near. And, and I don't know if Isaac actually knew about the whole soup for birthright thing, but he calls in Esau and says, Esau, my time has come. I'm about to breathe my last. So what I want to do is I want to bless you. And so let's have a little ceremony. Would you go out, shoot some game, and make that dish that I really, really like. I want to taste it one last time before I breathe my last. And once I have tasted of it, I will bless you. So Esau takes off. But there was a problem. Rebecca overheard the whole conversation. And Rebecca is thinking to herself, I love my boy Esau, but the dude's crazy. He doesn't have what it takes to maintain this. But I've hung out with Jacob these last 20 years. He can do it. Jacob has to be the one. So she calls Jacob in and begins whispering in the kitchen. All right, Jacob, Esau's out hunting, and dad's going to bless him when he comes back with the, the food. But I know the dish, so go get a couple of goats. We'll make the same dish, and you're going to go in, and you're going to fool dad, and he's going to think you're Esau, and he's going to bless you so that you can have it, And because I know you can do a far better job than Esau. And Jacob's probably thinking, oh, Mom, uh, there's a problem. Like, Esau never bathes. The dude stinks. Right? Dad's going to smell my cologne and essential oils and know that, like, it's Jacob. And she says, hey, just go grab one of his shirts out of the closet. That'll cover up the smell. And he's like, but I have smooth skin. Dad'll just touch me and, and realize I'm not hairy. She says, all right, let's just take a couple of the goats that we kill, and we'll just take the hide and put it on your arm. So when he feels that, he'll, he'll think you're Esau. And so they do it. Jacob starts carrying the tray in and goes, hi, Dad. Um, uh, hi, Dad. Uh, it's me, Esau. And they pull it off. Jacob gets the blessing. And now he has the blessing and the birthright. The younger has just usurped the older. Well, Esau comes back. He makes the dish. And he comes walking in. And he talks in his man's voice. Hey, Dad, got it for you. And Dad starts, wait a second. I've already blessed you. And they both realize Jacob has grasped them by the heel. He's deceived them. Esau's irate. And so he says aloud, I'm going to kill my brother. Rebecca overhears that. 
and she wants to take care of her little Jacob Wacob, and so she's got to make sure that he lives. So she convinces Isaac to send Jacob off back to Haran, back to where she came from, to go find a wife. And so they do. They send him off. And that's where he has the crazy dream of the ladder coming down. He eventually finds his uncle Laban. That's his mom's uh, uh, brother. And then the dysfunction really gets going. So if you've got Genesis 29 open there, we're going to start at verse 15. Then Laban, the uncle, said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban said, well, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Have you ever known someone to do something crazy for love? Yeah, you know, they, they get a tattoo of someone's name. They move cities. They, they quit jobs. They change their wardrobe. All to try and get the affection of someone else. The craziest story I've ever heard, though, I heard in a podcasted sermon this last week. The, the pastor said that he heard about a guy who really liked this girl, and he's trying to win her affection. And she's a little distant. She likes him. They go on some dates. But she's just, it's just not clicking on her side. Well, then he finds out that her brother is sick, and he's dying because his kidneys are failing. He needs a kidney transplant. Well, the new boyfriend goes and gets himself tested. Turns out he's a perfect match, and he gives up one of his kidneys for the brother. Now, there's some good news and bad news in this. The good news is that the transplant worked. The brother made it. The bad news is that it wasn't really her brother. It was actually her real boyfriend. And once he recovered, she then left the new guy and ran off with her boyfriend. Now, I have no idea if that story is true. I mean, it was told by a pastor. I would hope he wouldn't create something like that. But yet when I heard it, I thought it has to be true. It's too crazy not to be. Because we've all heard these absolutely crazy stories of people doing crazy things for love. I mean, heck, we've done some crazy things to try and get love. What Jacob does here is crazy. It turns out that a shekel is about a month's worth of wages. And a young man would save about 30 to 40 shekels in order to pay as a dowry for a young woman's hand in marriage to give to the father. Well, if you think about it, it takes you about a month to earn a shekel. You've got to get 30 to 40 of them. It means it would take you about two and a half to three years to save it all up. Jacob just offered seven years. Not three, not five. He goes seven, more than double anyone else. And I think there were two reactions. Laban, probably his eyes probably popped open thinking, dude, you do not know how to bargain and barter. Uh, yeah, I'll take it. I mean, I'm going to get seven years of labor out of you for my daughter? You bet. He's thinking the guys at Card Night are going to be totally jealous. Like they're going to wonder, how in the world did I get, get that? But maybe Rachel was right there and she heard it. Suddenly she hears that this guy is willing to pay this exorbitant amount for her hand in marriage. She probably felt more beautiful than ever before. But you notice there's another person in this. That when Laban's described, says that he has two daughters. The first one 
is Leah. All we know is Leah's older and that she has weak eyes. Now, it does not mean, I don't think it means, that she was like half blind and needed glasses like me. I think it means that there was something about her appearance, her eyes, that made her unattractive. Don't know if it means she had a lazy eye or they were crossed or, or you know, something about the, the setting of them. There was something about it, though, that did not make Jacob want her. Because you look at the comparison to Rachel, it says that she was beautiful in both form and appearance. She's sexually attractive to guys. But Leah, not so much. Can you imagine Leah? She's probably played second fiddle to her little sister for most of her life. She's seen the way the guys look at her sister, but they look at her differently. You know, when, when they're talking about her sister, they're looking at her in a certain way. But when they talk about her, there's whispers, maybe a few laughs. She doesn't feel beautiful. She's probably like most any other woman. Probably just longs for love. She, she wants a husband. She'd love to have kids. But she's like any of us. She would just love to be wanted. She just wants to be accepted. But Jacob, he wants the sister. He wants Rachel. And he's willing to do something crazy for her. He's willing to work seven years. So Laban agrees to it. The seven years pass. And then Jacob has the audacity to do this. Verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And he went into her. Now, Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. I told you this was a crazy story. I mean, this is messed up. Now, the way the ESV translated it, you're probably looking at it going, wait a second. Why would Jacob willingly go in with Leah when he wanted Rachel? Well, he didn't go in willingly. Because in just a moment, we're going to see just how angry he is when he wakes up in the morning and realizes he now has Leah as a wife, not Rachel. You're wondering, how in the world does that even happen? Well, back in their day, brides would have worn a heavy veil on their faces. And so you wouldn't have been able to really see her. And then you notice that Laban throws a big feast, a big party. It's probably safe to assume Jacob had quite a bit to drink. So he's drunk. And then they have no electricity. And they go into this tent. It's dark in there. That's how, late, I mean, that's how Jacob could wake up the next morning with his hangover, rollover, thinking he's going to get to see his beautiful Rachel. And instead, he finds Leah. And here's how he reacts. Pick it up in uh, verse 25. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, it's not done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also, in return for serving me another seven years. And Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. Jacob is hot. He's angry. He is irate. And it all comes lashing out at Laban. But I want you to realize that the anger of Jacob in this moment is not just because he doesn't have Rachel as a wife. He has Leah. The spilling out of him right now 
is the anger and frustration that has been building up over his life. Because throughout his life, he's probably been thinking, if I had only been born three minutes earlier, I would have the birthright. And then he's been working out schemes to try and get the birthright or to get the blessing. And he finally pulls it off. The thing that he thinks that this is what's going to make me happy, he gets it. And instead instead of it bringing the joy and happiness, it causes him to have to run. He's got to take off for his life. And now he finally sees this girl. She is so beautiful that a little mama's boy like him, if he could get her, dad would be impressed. This girl is finally going to heal it all. She's going to make a man of me. This is finally the one. So that's why when he wakes up and he sees Leah, he's livid. But then did you notice? It's almost like he becomes like a dog who tucks his tail under himself and walks away whimpering. He just goes with what Laban says. How in the world can he go so hot and angry and walk away like a wimpy little child? Because of what Laban said. Laban said, hey, 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 here, it's not customary for us to give the younger before the older. Boom, what was it that Jacob had done? He tried to be as the younger to overtake the older, his brother Esau. And when Jacob in the tent is reaching out in the dark thinking he's touching Rachel... He's actually touching Leah. At the words of Laban, he realizes that's exactly what he did to his own father. That his father, in the darkness of his blindness, reaches out thinking he's touching Esau. And instead, he's blessing Jacob. In that moment, as Jacob is saying, how could you do this to me? How could you deceive me? How could you Jacob me? It's like suddenly Jacob is now seeing in a mirror... And seeing who he has become. And it convicts him. And it humbles him. And he just goes with it. Keeps Leah as a wife. A week later he gets Rachel. On credit. He ends up having to work another seven years. So for 14 years. More than any other man has worked. He does all this. For his wives. Now. Our very first series at Riverwood was a series called Baggage. We looked at the life of Jacob. I'm very drawn to Jacob's story. It's a fascinating journey because it's just a very human journey. And I think we could learn a lot, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, from the life of Jacob. And so my temptation is to want to stick with Jacob, to continue to look at his story. Because I've already studied it some, so it'd be very easy for me to just pull some of that back and regurgitate it here. But what I find myself being drawn to is not Jacob's story in this moment. I actually find myself drawn to Leah because of the very next sentence that Moses puts in here. Look at verse 30. So Jacob went into Rachel also. So he gets her as a wife. And he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. Can you imagine the pain? Already, we've seen how Leah probably was jealous of her beautiful sister, always playing second fiddle. And here she was. She was the older, and yet her sister gets all the attention. And now she finally gets what she longs for. She's finally going to get a husband. But instead of that wedding night being that dream she thinks it would be, it turns into a nightmare. As her husband wakes up, sees her, and tears out of the tent, barely even having his robe on, yelling in anger because she's unwanted. 
So over the next paragraph, we see this absolutely fascinating journey that Leah goes on. And we see the journey through the names of her sons. We're going to see her have four kids. In her life, she ends up having seven, six boys and a daughter. But we see four kids here in this next paragraph. And we're going to watch this journey. So read this with me. Uh, Starting in verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he's given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, Now, this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. And then she ceased bearing. She starts it off. She gets pregnant. She has a son. In this day and age... I mean, daughters, some dads, I think, probably loved them. But unfortunately, a lot of women were kind of seen more like property. They they were second-tier citizens. A son, though. I mean, he'd grow up and help, you know, like, pass the mantle off to him. He'd have that birthright. And and he would, you know, get to lead everything. I mean, it was great to have a son. And so in this race between wives, Leah has a kid first. So she wins. And you see there in her prayer... She kind of says, I now know the Lord has seen me. She's also saying, now maybe my husband will finally see me. She's unwanted. She's unloved. And all she wants is for her husband to say, I see you. I love you. So it's like she names her son. See, a son. Now you'll see me. But he doesn't. Because when she has another child, you see that she names him Simeon. The word Simeon sounds similar to the Hebrew word for heard. And in her little prayer, you see that she says, well, now I know the Lord has heard me because I'm hated. Yet I also can't help but wonder if it isn't a longing for her husband to hear her. Probably most nights, Jacob would sleep in Rachel's tent and only come over to Leah's every once in a while. There were many nights where Leah probably laid there, crying tears, unheard, alone. Her husband still didn't love her. She was still unwanted. And she'd hoped this time she'd finally be heard. And it still hasn't happened. So then she has a third son. Her, her, her sister has no kids at all. So in the race, she's winning three to zero. Now, surely, her husband will attach to her. That's why she names him Levi, the Hebrew word for attached. Because, hey... Kids are important. Kids are valuable. And I'm way better than my sister. Yeah, she may be the looker, but look, she can't give you any kids. I'm giving you kids. I'm the better one. I'm more important. Now surely you'll come and sleep with me in my tent. Now surely you'll come and laugh at my jokes. Now surely you'll come and give me the hug and the kiss when you come in from the field. Now surely you will attach to me. And it still doesn't happen. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in that place where you feel unloved? You you feel unwanted. Maybe it was when a boyfriend or a girlfriend broke up with you. You just felt devastated. Maybe it was when you got in an argument with your spouse or fiance, and they said something incredibly hurtful. 
and you just felt incredibly unloved in that moment. Or maybe you've had to go through the really difficult time of your spouse running into the arms of another. You feel unloved, you feel unwanted, you feel unseen, you feel unheard, you feel unattached. And it hurts. When we don't get what we want, when we don't get what we long for, that's when we do crazy things. Some people, they, they just dive into their substances. It's drinking, it's drugs. Some of us, we dive into our work more. Or we, we dive into areas that we can control. Maybe we dive into the arms of someone else. We're all longing deeply to be loved, to be wanted, to be seen and heard and attached. And when we get rejected, we react. When Jacob gets tricked, his reaction is anger. He goes to Laban, just fists ready to fly. Let's see how Leah reacts. That's her, uh, with her fourth son, verse 35. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. She names him Judah. His name just means praise. It's like she's come along in this journey, longing for her husband to see her, to hear her, to attach to her. And yet he won't. And rather than go and try and attach to another man, rather than go and try and attach to something else, she cries out to her God. And she realizes that God has been blessing her this whole time with kids. He loves her. She's seen. She's been heard. And she is attached. And suddenly, God is her everything. So she stops worrying about her identity as a wife. She just focuses on her identity as a child of God. And that's how she comes to a place where she can simply praise. That's what I want for you. I would love for each and every one of you to be so content in your relationship with Jesus that you can just walk out of here praising God. Because you know that the gospel story says that you, because of your sin, were unwanted. You were unlovable. And yet, God loved you so much, he went and died the death that you should have died for your sin. The punishment of sin was death. But Jesus went and took it upon the cross for us because he loves us. And he is the true and better Jacob. Rather than picking favorites and pushing us, Leah's, away, he actually comes and welcomes in the unwanted the unlovable. Paul puts it this way in the book of Romans, what we know as chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. says that for while we were still weak, while we were still Leah's, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, for the unwanted. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't just give up seven years or 14 years. He gave up his entire life for you. That's how much he loves you. It's crazy, but it's true. This is why you do not have to go and run to substances. It's why you don't have to find your identity in your work. You don't have to try and make these kids make you into someone. You could just settle 
and rest in who God is and what he says about you. Because he says, I love you. I want you. I see you. I hear you. And I've opened up the avenue for you to attach. You do not have to be spiritually disconnected. You can connect with your God because he paid the price through the cross. If you're here today and you are not a follower of Jesus, I want you to know I am so glad you're here. This church was actually started for you. We want to help the spiritually disconnected to find Jesus, to follow him. I want you to hear the story because all of us have this deep longing for love. And I want you to hear so clearly that God put that longing in you because that longing is ultimately fulfilled through him and him alone. I'm not saying marriage is bad. I'm not saying kids aren't great. But compared to the love of God, those things pale. And you will find yourself grasping regularly. It's when you come to a place that you see who God is and his view of you that you can finally rest and you can actually praise. We actually see Jesus, though, one more place in the story. It's not just in the story of Jacob and Leah. It's actually right there in Judah. Because Judah ends up growing up and having some kids. And those kids grow up and they have some kids and on and on and on. And if you go into Matthew chapter 1, you would discover that Judah is an ancestor to Jesus. Jesus comes from the line of Judah. That's why he's known as the Lion of Judah. Jesus comes from the one whose name praise. Because he's the one worthy of our praise. Jesus comes through Leah because he came to rescue the Leahs. We are the unwanted. We are the unlovable. And yet God loved us so much that he paid the ultimate price to bring us and embrace us in his arms. But there is an added benefit in all of this. When you come to a place that your identity is found in Jesus, you become Jesus-centered. You start realizing that, yeah, I was a Leah, and yet God loves the Leahs. And look what he's done for me. He's given me this life through Jesus. And as you come into that contentment, you can't help but go and tell other Leahs about it. Because there is a world out there filled with people who feel unwanted. They feel unheard. They feel unseen. They feel disconnected. And you have now found this Savior who loves you to the end. And you can't help but live it. You can't help but share it. And you just might get the joy of sharing this with some other Leah. And they too will come into the arms of Christ and see their lives radically changed as well. Because they need to hear as much as we need to hear that Jesus loves the Leah's. So, Jesus, we just come to you and we say thank you. Thank you for loving us. Loving us so much that you didn't just come to work seven years or 14 years. You came to die. So we say thank you for paying the penalty that we should have paid and then giving us the life that you always intended for us to live. Help us to live in the glory of your grace. Help us to live within your love. May this be our identity, that we wouldn't be grasping for other things, trying to feel wanted and appreciated, 
to instead see that you fulfilled those deepest longings that we have. So God, I pray for anyone right now who's feeling disconnected from you. Whether it's because they're not a follower of you yet, or maybe because they've just allowed their sin to to become center. I just pray that right now, as you minister to them through your Holy Spirit, they'd come to a breaking point, and they'd become like Leah, and they would just say, you are enough. This time, I will just praise you. Because you are God, you are good, and you love us. Father, continue to change our identity. Help us to be Jesus followers. Help us to be Jesus-centered so that we can go to the other Leahs and love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived among them. So Father, thank you for this story. Thank you how even in this dysfunctional, polygamist family, we somehow see your love. May your love become our identity. In Jesus' name we pray together.